Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, still trying to coordinate the audio and the video. Um, I uh, want to do the Parsha first this week. I don't have anybody yet for the uh, for the other two, for the bio and for the uh, Haftorah. I'm hoping that someone will appear out of nowhere to take care of that. But let me do address the Parsha uh, quickly here today before I have to go to Shulfamar, uh, Mincha. Uh, it's being sponsored by my very good friends from Baltimore and Columbus, the Pollocks. Paul and Kathy said so we donate the honor of our grandchildren, Tikva Esther, uh, Simcha, Abigail, Milana, and Milia Senta Pollock. Wow, <laughs> interesting names. Uh, so thank you very much. As I said, I hope that a lot of people will uh, step forward and uh, will fill in whatever is missing in the gaps. Now, um, I'll cut right to the chase. We have very interesting... Uh, I'm pretty cynical, and so this partially kind of fits in with that. <clears throat> Uh, I'm referring to a very specific part of uh, Chukas, which is a, a favorite of the Bible critics and regular Mepharshim as well, because of the problematic problematic nature of what seems to be two competing narratives. Classic stuff. Let's see now. On the one hand, we say in this week's Parsha that the Jews try to walk through Edom and they get turned back. That's what it seems. By Yisumihar, um where is it over here? Uh, and so on and so forth and what is and they want to go through Edom and here it is so Moshe dispatches personal messengers without getting into the question of the Malach I was thinking of talking about that that's a little too metaphysical for my present state of mind the whole argument with the Different Mefarshim and the Rambam and all that. Please leave that alone. Let's see, messengers to the king of Edom. Very diplomatic. Your brother of Israel. In other words, like the Jews and the Edomites have no bad memories. You know all the trouble we had. And now we got out of Egypt. We got out of Egypt. And we're up to your border. Okay? He doesn't interestingly use the words. Um, we want to go to Israel, but it seems to be implied. The Barbara will discuss this, but without going there, it seems to be implied. Let us pass through your land. We promise not to trample anything. We won't pass through the vineyards or the fields. We won't drink your water up. It's the Middle East. For all I know, in summer, a couple million people drink the local rivers. It's all gone. We're not going to do that. Which, by the way, implies... We have our own water source. And this is a good uh, argument for the Be'er uh, Miriam. Anyway, we'll only go on uh, 695 on on the main federal highway. We won't turn right or left. And so Mamash literally passed through. <clears throat> it's a little bit like when the king of Egypt says that to Yoshio also. Just passing through. 
Vayemri love Edom, and according to this version, Edom says, notice it doesn't say the king of Edom, Meshachach makes a big deal out of that, it was the uh, people of Edom, but anyway, Vayemri love Edom, lo sabor bi pimbacher v'yitzelukrosecha, you come here, we fight you with a sword. Vayem Benis from Silanala, and the Jews said, listen, we'll go just on the main road, and we'll pay you, listen to the language, if we end up, let's put it this way, we're not going to drink anything. If we do, you already see how it's going. No, you can't let, I don't blame Edom in a certain degree. They say, we're not going to eat a thing. And if we do, it's like a guy going to business deal. I'm not going to this and this and this. But if we do, I agree to pay a penalty. So you know where that's going. You understand? You know where that's going. But no, I'll pay for it. Just let us go through. And I'm organized a mass mobilization. Came out by Amkaveh to Biyarchazokas. We know the story. They wouldn't let the Jews go through. And Israel turned aside. That's what it seems. Not to turn away from him. However, in Parshish Dvarim, it says, More Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, is 40 years later. Well, this happened in the 40th year. As you know, Parshish Chukas is like a blip. The first part is about the Paraduma, and that takes place in the second year after they left Egypt. And then there's, all of a sudden, Miriam's dead, which means that you skip 39 years, 38 years, you're in the 40th year. And uh, Miriam dies, and then Aaron dies, and so forth. So along these lines, Moshe, uh, let's see, uh, just before Moshe dies, he's saying the book of Elad Dvarim, and he's telling over the recent history, Mamish recent history, a few months ago, and Hashem said, Rav Lechem Sarvaz Ezebinu Klam Tzavona, head north, Ve'elo'om Tzavli Mordis in Parshish Dvarim. Atem Marim B'Gvul Achechem Bnei Esau, they say there, you're going in the Gvul, in the territory of your brothers of Bnei Esau, They'll be scared of you. Be be very careful. What that means is not so pushy. But anyway, I'll discard them. Don't mess with them. It's not your territory. So this is what God is telling them. We were not told this in Chukas. Food you can buy with Kesef and eat. And you can get water also and buy with Kesev. Because God's going to help you. And so on and so forth. And it said, And he doesn't describe what happened. Doesn't say over there, Adam said no. As a matter of fact, it sounds like Adam says yes. Because it says, it's very uh, ambiguous. And different before some different ways. That we turned from Achin ben Esau to Derech Arava. Derech Arava. That means it's, it, that's Edom territory. It really is. Now we're getting into the nitty-gritty of the archaeology. It sounds to me like it's Edom territory. But before he said they, they had to turn aside. Now hold on. I'm not finished. A little bit later, Moshe is telling the story over. And he says, It's Mamish recent. It I sent... Messengers, El Sichem El Cheshvan, Divri Shalom, Eber Biyartsecha, let me pass through. In other words, we're not out to take the Avery Yard, and it's not part of Israel. 
We just want to pass through to cross the Jordan into the 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 Canaan. Baderch baderch neilich lo asur yimin. Small same idea. We won't turn right and left, meaning we won't interfere in your country. Ochel bakesa tashvei vachalti. Provide me with food for money for kesef. Umayim bakesa tino shasisi, and provide me with water for which will pay kesef. Rocket brother, let me just pass through. Kasher also the bnei esav. That's what the bnei esav did. Hayushim b'seir from adashir of orsiyarni lotsan nosalonu. Of course, we all know. Sichah said no way, and he attacked the Jews, and that gave Moshe an excuse. God says this, not me, <laughs> right? Uh, to attack Sichah and wipe him out, and then annex the territory of the Transjordan of Avraiyardi. We all know that. Okay, but you see the difference in our parsha this week in Chukas. It sounds like by Moin Edom the son of Urah by Yit Yisrael Meilov that the whole idea of Edom said no, and the Jews Taka made a detour. Because Hashem said, don't mess with them. Altis Gerbom. Because I'll have reasons, whatever. It's their territory. Screw around them. And same thing happens with Ammo and Moab and all that. And it is implied that if Sichon and Og would have done that, the Jews wouldn't have had an excuse to go after them either. Although that's very complicated because they are from the Amori, they're from the Zainu, Amin. But leaving that aside, how do you account for the difference in these two stories? It's a famous Bible critic word. You know, they'll say, well, it's written by two people, and so on and so forth. Rashi, uh, the, the, the Rajbam, and the others all give dialectical answers of the classic variety. It says they went through Seir, not through Edom. There's two different nations. So Edom said no, but Seir said yes. I think that's the Rajbam or something. And whatever, you know, different nations did different things. Now, there are things like this. Um... And Rashi, I forget what Rashi says, but something along the lines that um, he let him buy it, but he wouldn't let him go through. Something along those lines. And there are other Mepharshim as well. To me, it's a double pushing. What do I mean when I say a double pushing? I don't know, I think. It's what I think. It's the Middle East. Do you notice the difference between what it says in our Parsha versus what it says in Dvarim? I'll repeat the words in our Parsha. It just struck me, that's all. I'm just sharing you what struck me. In our Parsha it says, Pamasil Nala, right? We won't do it. First, we won't even drink or eat anything. We're going to, If we end up eating or drinking anything, we'll give the Mecher. The Mecher is its value. You understand? We'll give its value. Uh, how does the art scroll translate it here? Uh, uh, we'll go in the highway, drink your water. I'll pay their price. And Adam said, no, we'll go to war. Is it cash or no cash? Hashem didn't say that. If the psukim in the Torah are mamish davka, then it's interesting. Once again, we find this phenomenon that Moses deviates uh, from the exact instructions of God. Except when he doesn't. Moses said, through his messengers, we won't take anything, and if we do, we'll pay the price. What did God tell him to say? That's in Dvarim. Moses is telling you over what Hashem's actual instructions were. 
Not what Moshe actually said. To me, it's very interesting. You find this a bunch of times. Here's where he's striking. Not what Moshe said. What Hashem told him to say. And Moshe should have stuck to the script. Hashem said, Right? And, uh, And God says to Moses, I want you, I want you to command the people, lay more, verbatim, as follows, quote, which Moshe did not do. Don't take over the territory of Esau if it belongs then. This is still Hashem talking. And say you're going to eat. No, don't lie. Don't say we won't take anything. And if we do, we'll pay for it. Tell them up front. Sell me food, and I got cash. Kesef. Bakesef. So the word kesef is missing. Okay? And it goes on and on and on. And as you see later on in that parsha, when he repeats this in his letter to Sichon, he says, Moshe does, Vaishlach Moshe Malka, Eber Baratsechok, Ochel Bakesef Tashabrani Bachalti, Mayim Kesef Tabashasisi, Kashir Osilibaneso. You see, when it was in Parsha Chukas, and Moshe said in his own way, not the words of God, his own way, I'm not making it up, I'm reading from the Chumash. So he just said, yes, no, Satimich, we'll, we'll settle counts. We'll pay the price. Yeah, what does that mean? A guy comes to you and says, if I break anything, I'll fix it. What does that mean? Hashem's like this, show them the cash. Not only that, Kesef. What is associated Kesef to us in the Chumash? To me, it's Ephraim Achiti, where he says, over the The Kesef at that time, and the gold, the Kesef was the over socher, is international currency. In other words, cash on the barrel, baby, and not promissory notes like we have in the USA. But the Matbea has the specie. It has the gold, it has the silver. In this case, the Kesef. Uh, when you say, I'll take care of it if anything happens, I don't like that. If the guy says, so here's the cash, or as we say today, certified check or something like that, I'm putting it in your hands. If I exceed anything like this, you got the money. That's a different story. When you flash that cash in front of everybody, all of a sudden they change their mind. You say, oh, okay, that's a different business. You know what I'm saying? The whole world is like this. History is replete with such cases. You show them the actual cash, I repeat. Not promissory notes, not confederate money, nothing like this. Gold, gold bars, silver bars, that sort of thing. Throughout history, it works like a charm. I'm going to Teaneck in a couple weeks, and I was thinking what to talk about over there, but it turns out, it reminded me I already spoke about it. Listen closely to this. One of the interesting episodes in Baltimore Jewish history has to do with the guy, Leon Dyer, who back in the 1820s, 30s, 40s, 50s, was a macher over here, he was the president of the first shul in Baltimore. Orthodox. At that time, the Bolton Hebrew Congregation, where Rabbi Rice came later. And this guy actually helped found the shul. But he had like a Forrest Gump type 
life. And believe it or not, he ended up leaving Baltimore for a while and going to uh, New Orleans. And then he was with Sam Houston when they defeated Santana. I can't, I'm, I'm not making this up. And he accompanied Santana back to Washington, D.C., signed a treaty with America. So he was a mocker, and he joined the U.S. Army later on. And if you go online, you can see that he signed something. He said he swore he wouldn't swear on a Christian Bible only in the five only in the five books of Moses. You understand? Only in the five books of Moses. And so the result is he was a religious guy. I'm not saying I necessarily eat at his house, but you know, at that time, this is before reform existed in America. And one of the interesting things is he had military experience. He was in the Sam Houston Army, later in the United States Army, in the, in the uh, Seminole War, and so forth and so on. I wouldn't say he's worthy of a podcast, but he's worthy of a mention of this week's Parsha. Because in 1846, the USA got involved with what they call the Mexican War. Right? The Mexican War, which was from 1846 uh, to 1848. Mainly 1846 and 1847. The war ended in February of 48. On my birthday, actually. Now, uh, there are two main generals, but I'm going to talk about one. Winfield Scott was a very famous American general once upon a time. Uh, he was America's best general at that time. Later in the Civil War, he was old, but at the time I'm talking about he wasn't old. And without boring you with too many details, let's just say Scott was given the, the task of conquering Mexico. And that meant... The Mexicans wouldn't give in unless you land, invade Mexico, and capture Mexico City. And he pulled it off in 1847 in a brilliant campaign. He landed in Veracruz and had a bunch of battles, and he won every battle along the way. And he escaped the, the malaria, and it's a constant business. If you're interested in anything I'm saying, you'll go Google Winfield Scott, the Mexican War, and you'll see it. The Mexicans who are listening to this are angry because I hear that. I get it. And I'm talking about what happened in American history. Now, Scott was a very smart cookie. He was America's most professional general. He said, I'm going to invade a country like Mexico, which is huge, and is Catholic, and they don't like the Americans, etc., etc. I'm going to have trouble with guerrillas attacking my supply lines and all the rest like we had in Vietnam. And so what Scott did was like this. He got this guy, Leon Dyer, the, the, the show president from Baltimore. He said, I'm making you quartermaster general of the army. What's no large army? The invaded and conquered Mexico and Mexico City with a bunch of brilliant victories with a small army. Okay? And he said like this. The two of them got together and they said, Ian Dyer quoted the Bible. And Winfield Scott agreed exactly because he also knew the Bible. They had studied Napoleon's famous wars and Napoleon got some things right. And he got some things very wrong. And what he did right took him up, and what he did wrong took him down. One of the most famous cases of a mistake of Napoleon was his invasion of Spain in 1808 and afterwards. Because he came very brutally into Spain. He killed a lot of people. He crushed everything. acted very dictatorially. The Spanish resisted what was called guerrilla warfare. And it tied down hundreds of thousands of Napoleon's troops. Killed a belt of Frenchmen. The French responded with atrocities against the Spanish. The Spanish responded with even bigger atrocities against the French. If any of you are familiar at all with art, and you look at Velazquez, the famous Spanish painter, uh, 
he has all the pictures of the atrocities. It's very famous in the history of art. And so it was a mess. You see? And that's Napoleon with an army of half a million men. Winfield Scott had like 10,000, something like that. They said, I can't have this. But I'm going to be going into Mexico in hostile territory. And at one point, the American army, without boring you with the details, actually for a while was cut off from its base of supplies. They had to wait for reinforcements to come in, blah, blah, blah. So notice there was an American army under General Winfield Scott and our Jewish guy, Leon Dyer, that was trapped in the heart of Mexico, if you want to call it that. And they have no supplies. How are you going to survive? And why aren't you afraid of guerrilla warfare? And, little by, and there's not too many Americans anyway. They say they can knock you off. But Scott and the Jewish guy, they said, I guess we're going to take a lesson from Moses. And when he says like this, before he landed in Mexico, he had minted a velt, a huge amount of gold coins, pure gold. See? And he gave orders in the army very strict. No one will steal anything from the Mexicans or bother any Mexican girl, nothing like that. Anything we want by way of food or, or, or munitions, anything like that, we will pay in solid gold coins. The whole world reckoned over La Socher. And it worked like a charm. The Mexican farmers and people used to come and visit the army all the time and bring schayr for them. They had always had more than enough food, more than enough supplies, even though they were in hostile territory. And they were able to survive this period until reinforcements came. And they went on to capture Mexico City and win the war, etc., etc., etc. What does that mean? The world is so constituted. If you have Mamash Kesev Izov, I mean, again, real money, uh, all the politics falls aside. <laughs> right? I, the Mexicans, were angry at the Americans for invading the country, etc., etc. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu, he said, I guess we're only passing through. We don't intend to stay here, which was true. He said, we just want to win a peace. Get treated, then we're leaving. And so there's no reason for you, the Mexicans, to go and attack us. We are a source of income for you. That is what Hashem told Moshe. Moshe didn't listen to it. You see? So when Moshe, at least as I understand anyway, that's all I can do is tell you my shot. In our parasha, Moshe says, well, no, we'll just take care of it. We'll give it with the mech or whatever it is. And he didn't get specific. He didn't show them that they came out of Egypt ungushed up with gold and silver. Okay, so then Edom said, Once, however, they followed exactly what Hashem said, as is reported in Parshish Tvarim, and they said, listen, we got cash, and anything we pay for, by the way, it doesn't say if we drink anything. It says, sell me the stuff, I'll tell you up front, I'll buy it. Not that we'll um, use our own supplies and won't touch yours, because then you gain nothing from it, the Edomites. Why should I let the Jews through? Ad Rabbah. Hashem didn't say, go tell them you'll pass through the country and eat nothing. That's stupid. If that's true, the country gains nothing from this. Well, you say, well, but I'm going through your country. I'm not bothering you. What do I need an enemy force to come through the country? But if they say, guess what? It's going to be one gigantic, what's the right expression? You know, invasion of Jewish tourists. You're not going to have three million Jews pass through your country. You've got three million Jews with cash tourists passing through your country, Abu Dhabi or whatever, and they're all going to spend the money. So guess what? It'd be the best luck you ever had. And as a result, in Dvarim, when Moshe got it right, then there was no problem. Same thing happened in Mov. So it turns out, if what I'm saying is correct, this is my conjecture, 
Okay, same forward. This is my understanding of the parsha, based on what I know about general military history. So, <laughs> Moshe first did it his way. And Vayet Yisrael the Jews had to turn back, meaning the messengers, as I would say, turned back. However, then Moshe reviewed his notes. <laughs> right? Moshe reviewed his notes. He said, what exactly did Hashem tell me? Because I'm sure Moshe said to himself like this. We're supposed to go to Israel. The Bershom told to go through. He said to go through Adam and don't bother them. And Adam said, I can't go through. Why would Hashem do a thing like that? Why would Hashem do a thing like that? So when Moshe reviewed his notes, he said, oh, it says, don't say we won't take anything. And if we do, no, we'll, we'll, we'll pay. Tell them we're coming in to spend money. We're coming in. It's going to be like a Pesa hotel. You know what I'm saying? It'll be the best thing you ever hit Edo. You guys will be talking about for years. And therefore, as they pass through, you can imagine the lines of Kali Yisrael as they pass through Edom were lined up with what? Every Edomite selling every stupid t-shirt, pineapple, <laughs> kosher, of course. But, you know, they were, capitalism is so constant, you find out what these guys are walking through. If I'm having a million Muslims come through, I'm not going to have trace me for I get the halal, get it? It's a business. It's a business. And so the Edomites lined the road and money passed hands and everybody said like this, they got water bottles, uh, Mayim, what's the expression? Right? So he came with a million, million water bottles, three million water bottles, three million per day. And Moshe passed through Adam had no time. Everybody was happy. And probably the Brunner Shalom said, I guess, and next time follow my words exactly. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. So it turns out, I don't think you have to give all these dialectical type answers. Uh, I think, if I'm right, we have a very interesting situation where Moshe, who often does this, it's interesting in Chumash, he said it his way. Obviously, Hashem knows everything, and you know he knows Moshe is going to be this way. But here, it comes out almost funny, because when he did it round two, and he said, I'm going to follow my instructions to the letter, all of a sudden, the same Edomites who said, Pen turned around and says, please come in, and by the way, stop at my gas station. And why don't you at the gas station buy a Coke? You see? So, uh, I think it tells you something very interesting about the human personalities, and turns out it's one of those cases where me Milsa. In order to get the full story, you need chukas and you need parshas dvarim. It's not in a parshas dvarim he's chazering over. It's supplementing. In this case, in my opinion, he's supplementing the story very uh, dramatically. Anyway, that's what I think. I want to thank the Pollock's and Paul and and uh, Kathy Pollock. Uh, I'm honored that they uh, donated in honor of their grandchildren. And I wish everybody a good week. I do hope that um, someone, uh, two people actually, will be inspired to step forth to help with the bio and with the Haftarah. With that, I wish you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www 
support.rabbidavidkatz.com.